Hello, welcome to Okawa Book Club. So we're your hosts, I'm Dylan. I'm John. And we're going to be discussing the teachings of Riho Okawa. Riho Okawa is a world teacher, master, and CEO of Happy Science Group. All right, so today on Okawa Book Club, we have The True Eightfold Path, Guideposts for Self-Innovation by Riho Okawa. And this book is beyond incredible. It is, it's almost a dictionary of all things Buddhism and very thick book and filled with lots of detailed explanations about various concepts. But to get into it, I will begin by reading from the preface. So from the preface to the new and revised edition, it says the contents of this book are of a contemporary nature so that novices will be able to easily understand them. And going on to part of the preface from the original edition, it says, I sincerely wish that my readers will be able to take guidance from this book to achieve self-innovation, build a new way of living, and revitalize their lives. John, thanks for joining me today. And could I ask you to read the chapter titles of the 10 chapters of this book? Sure. Chapter 1 is the introduction, the meaning and prerequisite of self-reflection. Chapter 2, right view. Chapter 3, right thought. Chapter 4, right speech. Chapter 5, right action. Chapter 6, right living. Chapter 7, right effort. Chapter 8, right will. Chapter 9, right meditation. And Chapter 10, general statement, the significance of the Eightfold Path in today's world. So I know we both know people who've been practicing the Eightfold Path and seen its treasures put into practice. Uh, for me, I think about a certain t uh, spiritual teacher who follows Riho Kala's teachings. I know who has been deeply practicing the Eightfold Path for the last 35 years. And this teacher, he has achieved a level of uh, enlightenment himself and able to help others and to give lectures to a university and to help people really discover the meaning of these phrases at a very deep level. And I've learned so much about the Eightfold Path from him and seen just how much it works. So since he's been practicing it for so long, I really want to practice it just the way he does. That's incredible. Yeah. And it really shows uh, the value of efforts over time. Mm -hmm. How about you? Have you had, have you uh, seen anyone or heard any stories about people? Absolutely. <clears throat> yeah, one, one person comes to mind. He is someone who had a difficult upbringing and the Eightfold Path helped him to look at his environmental circumstances in a different way so as not to be bound and subject to them and to develop a right view of people in his lives in order to understand them and develop a sense of compassion for people. Hmm. Um, and it was life-changing for this person, you know, I mean, and it's from that point, the direction of their life and the course of their life on all in all ways has totally just adjusted mm. for the better. All right, wonderful. I think as the last chapter says, just to put a macro overview of this entire book, it says there are points which describe the answers to these questions. Why do you need the true eightfold path? What is the purpose of the true eightfold path? One of them is adapting the eightfold path to modern society. As we've talked about in a few previous episodes of our Okawa Book Club, the Eightfold Path is something that was taught by Shakyamuni Buddha 2,600 years ago. And the value of the Eightfold Path, or the true spirit of the Eightfold Path, has been lost over time. So adapting this concept to the modern society, 
would be of profound value to humankind. And the significance of the true Eightfold Path is to address the current situation where the true spirit of the Eightfold Path taught by Shakyamuni Buddha has been lost over a time period spanning more than 2,500 years. It has been interpreted in various ways by Buddhist scholars, but its essence has remained unclear. Also, no answer has been provided to the questions of how should we use the Eightfold Path and what is its true meaning? Therefore, Ryuho Okawa has taught about the Eightfold Path which can be referred to as the secret treasure of mankind in a way that can be applied to modern society in a practical manner. And the primary significance of the True Eightfold Path is to teach it clearly so that you can practice its principles. Wow, it's, I, I really wish to explore this secret treasure of mankind a little bit deeper. So John, what is the fundamental principle of right view, the first principle of the Eightfold Path? So I believe on page 40, it says there's some subheadings which describe the meaning of the Eightfold Path. Uh, yeah, the subheadings <clears throat> are reformation of our mindsets in terms of seeing is needed, discovering God's intention through visual images. And I think that one thing that was emphasized in this was what a wonderful thing it is to be able to see, you know, and an emphasis upon how much we utilize this sense of vision mm. uh, to make sense of the world. And then being able to align that with God's vision is a truly remarkable undertaking. Right. That's so true. And then the next step, which is right thought, it talks about something very unique, which is the principle of right thought being based upon the primordial Buddha. Buddha has some aspects which he wishes to imbue to humankind. And among those are very high-level principles which are essential for attaining enlightenment and things like faith and also receiving the light of God. And that helps to accept the existence of a world created by God that goes beyond our perception. So the meaning of the word God here is primordial Buddha, and the meaning of primordial Buddha is the creator of this great universe. There's a lot of attitudes that are required for right thought, but three essential ones are being open-minded, having self-help efforts, and being humble. Then we get to the next principle, right speech. On page 106, it says something about words, which is very interesting in the subheading. Could you? Sure. Uh, it says, words spoken out loud will create happiness or misfortune for yourself and others. Wow, so our words will come back to us, and in both good ways and bad ways, right? Right. And furthermore, words can cause love to help better the world, but they can also cause violence that destroys the world. Okay, so now we're at the level of maybe a constitutional court of law, right? They always talk about the power of free speech and of words. So in Buddhism, we have ultimate control over our mouth, over our words. And we have to realize that our words do cause positive or negative consequences on others. There's a lot of concepts in here, such as checking whether your words are offending others. And it talks about apologizing for your mistakes, saying thank you when you're scolded, and then being honest to people. So there's a lot of precepts about our words in this chapter. Going on, it talks about right action. Right action is so important because in today's society, the principles of work are not clear. So this talks about the principles of right work and the meaning of work in today's society, which is 
for one, live contemplative lives while we're at the workplace, and also trying to, trying to achieve spiritual evolution through our career. What's important is not things like career advancement, titles, and money, but it is about our spiritual enlightenment that we achieve through work, and then trying to align to the prosperity of our country and to the world through our work. Next, we have our right living. So on page 162, it says the important part about right living. Right living is about making the most effective use of your time and lifestyle. And furthermore, all human beings are equally subject to time, but differentiate themselves depending on how they spend their time. Huh, I see. So time is the most important part about right living, it seems, and then making use of our time to achieve the most effective use and then improving our lifestyle. I like how it says on page 162, what is your ideal lifestyle? You would then understand the difference between right action and right living. It's not just like what we do each day, but how we use our time each day. And every day we're given 24 golden coins. Those golden coins, we get to choose what we spend them on. So if we want to choose to spend 12 of them sleeping, we won't live a right lifestyle. But if we use our time like precious gold, then we can live the best possible life. And it talks in here about investing time in our future as well and doing studies that will improve ourselves in the future, not just thinking about here and now. I also appreciated how it states to reflect on how you use your time daily from the viewpoint of contributing to building a utopia. Mm. And I think that's something we'll probably go into more a little bit later. Wow, that's, yeah, I'd really like to learn more about that. Next, we have right effort. What is very unique in this book is it talks about the difficulty in maintaining enlightenment. So we usually hear about achieving enlightenment, but we never hear about maintaining enlightenment. That without the right efforts, we can easily slip off the path of truth and become deluded or even confused about the basics of what's important in life. And the study of Buddhist truth and its results are an entry ticket to enlightenment, not a ticket to ride. So that's, that's kind of a funny way of saying, but it basically means that we have to make efforts to maintain our stability on this path, and we can easily fall off of it. So another part of right effort is demonstrating our knowledge through practice. Demonstrating the knowledge we have learned in our actual life. If your enlightenment is real, put it into practice. You only have to look around to see if enlightenment is being practiced. You only need to see how other people treat you to know that. And keep an attitude of examining yourself to see if your character continues to improve. Well, I think that's a really great safeguard, you know, for uh, if you believe that you are enlightened and, you know, then you look at your life circumstances, you could really objectively evaluate it. Right, yeah. And especially if other people think you've gone crazy, if other people... <laughs> see you as a fanatic or someone who is doing something very strange, then it will be a way that you can really understand from other people's objective perspective just where you are in life. Okay, now right will. Right will is so essential. So self-reflection involves not only repentance for our past deeds, but also planting of seeds for future development. Right will is where we can start to see the principles of progress and the principles of self-development and the principles of realizing utopia in this world. 
So could you elucidate on that? I know you mentioned it earlier. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, <clears throat> one thing that's stated in this chapter is that will has physical power. Mm. And I believe that that is central because to these concepts, because your will power is capable of impacting other people. And because of that, it's also capable of impacting the entire world to the point of how right will and how the Eightfold Path overall contributes to utopia is that it creates a type of utopian vision within ourselves by allowing us to align ourselves in every possible way with the right way of doing it. And then through becoming that, we become like a beacon of light that lights up the world around us and it spreads. So the more of us who accept this self-responsibility for adopting all of the right ways of behaving and seeing, viewing the world in our lives, mm. the more of us who can contribute to creating a, a civilization of people who are self-responsible and also responsible to one another. And mm. I think that that is what will lead to utopia. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's basically, it's stating, if you add up all the direction of the wills of the people living in a certain country or area, you will know the future of that area. It is the direction of our will, which is most important. Some people have very strong willpower, but they can use it for destructive aims. So ask yourself, in the end, do I want to make myself happy or not? Then it talks about doing away with self-pity and to seek love from, from others. But change the direction of your will and break free from your tendency to cling to unhappiness. So if everyone is wishing for happiness in the right way, this world will become a utopia. It is simple as that. It's not too complicated once we get down to it. There's this ancient phrase which Confucius said, which is, I followed my heart's desire without transgressing what is right. What it means is that he attained a certain level of enlightenment, which allowed him to use his willpower in a way which benefits the world. And some people will, if they think about what their true aims in life are, maybe it will be things like, I want a big house, I want a fancy car, I want a beautiful wife. But it's not thinking about benefiting the world and the direction of the happiness that we are seeking. Casting aside these desires and then getting over our pride. And then finally, thinking about God's plan for the world. And if we want to serve that plan, these things will really help to purify our will. And then lastly, trying not to bind others, but to lead others to true freedom. That is so essential. Wow, so we've gone through seven principles. And in order to achieve the last one, we have to really do the first seven in order to really get to this last step of right meditation. So what is the first step to happiness that it talks about on page 222? Serenity within is the first step to happiness. Hmm. So it talks about self-reflection and breathing exercises, calming the mind, letting light into our mind, light from the heavenly world. And that is the true essence of meditation. So if we can achieve that true serenity or tranquility within our mind, it's going to put us in a very calm and reflective place in order to achieve true happiness. Mm -hmm. And right meditation is ultimately about trying to become one with God or Buddha, mm. which I think um, <clears throat> that having that intention when you begin to meditate will set you on the right path ultimately. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So to achieve one with God or Buddha, sometimes we practice meditation in front of a gohanzan, an object of worship. 
And maybe if you are from the Islamic faith, you might be confused about idols and things like that. But Buddhism does not have such laws. They teach that we don't worship the object itself, but we object what it represents. And then we try to achieve the same type of oneness with Buddha through a visual image, which it makes it easier for us. And then there's also another way to achieve oneness with Buddha, which is through prayers and sutras. And in Riho Okawa's teachings, there is something called the true word spoken by Buddha, which is practiced before meditation in order to make us much more close to Buddha and that we can practice meditation upon Buddha's vibrations. And where can people find the true words spoken by Buddha? Well, if you look, this actually, this book has a promotion on page 252, which talks about the true words spoken by Buddha. And by contacting a Happy Science local branch or Shoja, which are listed on page 256, we can receive a copy of this sutra so that our meditation is purified and improved. Okay, we went through the eight steps, but now let's go back to the goal of spiritual discipline. If the Eightfold Path was used as a way which works for modern society, which we mentioned, why is it the goal of our spiritual discipline? The second significant point of the True Eightfold Path is that it gives clear goals of spiritual discipline. It may depend on how each individual defines the word enlightenment, what one interprets it to mean. I would say that as far as enlightenment is concerned, it is without limit. It will never be possible to claim, I have attained final enlightenment. Mm -hmm. You may be able to stand at the gateway of enlightenment or maintain a certain level of enlightenment, but it is impossible to know whether you are actually enlightened or not until you return to the other world. And those are the words of Ryo Okawa in this book. And it's absolutely true. It, it's as though to say that the path is the goal. Mm. And then the, the third way in which the true eightfold path is significant is that it serves as principles to create utopia, which we talked about. That is a way that I think stimulates our motivation and our, our desire to make action, to change. So could you read from that section? Absolutely. Ryo Okawa states, Creating a utopia within individual minds will be the starting point of making this world into a utopia. It is impossible to realize ideals in a sweep or achieve political reform, economic reform, or religious reform. You must not have the false illusion of a perfect system or an ideal environment. You must not expect that an ideal percentage will bring you all you wish for, or that perfect circumstances will necessarily bring you happiness. Such modes of thinking are quite unrealistic. Hmm. So if that's the case, it seems like we must put ourselves in a realistic state and then make our own efforts. And that also includes making our own lamp shine. He says, I will teach you how to light a fire but it is you who has to set it ablaze. If there is no flame, it is probably because you are not trying to start a fire. The act of starting a flame is nothing but making efforts at self-innovation. Wow, so if such efforts represent our true happiness in the name of enlightenment, it makes us so that we ourselves are the people who control our life. And the Eightfold Path is the way to master ourselves in that regard. So we've talked about so much today, and this book will really be something you can keep with you for the rest of your life as a way to reflect upon yourself. But before we end, could I ask you, John, to read from the afterword of this book and the kind of summary of the book in its entirety. What exactly was Shakyamuni Buddha's Eightfold Path? 
The explanation I have presented will be helpful to both beginners and experts. As the author, I would be more than happy if you would keep this book within easy reach to help guide your daily spiritual discipline. Okay, well, I'm going to keep this close to, you know, my bookshelf and uh, Likewise. keep myself reading it. So thank you very much for listening to our book club today. So the true Eightfold Path you can get at bookstores such as Barnes & Noble or online at Amazon.com. You can also learn more about the book at OkawaBooks.com. It was great talking to you again, John. Likewise, though. In these trying times, stay happy, healthy, and positive.